Amen. Another had another privilege this morning as um, as um, Dantas and Celia came in. I was busy talking. Following them was Martha and Celia's parents. And uh, oh, where are they? There we are. <laughs> Josue plays the plays the harmonica. And hopefully, while he's here, he'll play the harmonica for us. <laughs> we are blessed to have them here. And they speak very fluent Portuguese. And so they smile so politely when I preach, but they don't understand most of the words I say. I want us to be in prayer also for, for Willie. Willie's not able to be here with us this morning. Willie Moore, he called me, uh, I think it was yesterday, and uh, had learned that his son had, had been killed. And uh, it's, it's a, a tragic situation, but um, one of his sons, um, he, he he's not been able to keep in contact with for very various reasons, and it had been quite some time since he had been able to communicate with his son. And he received word that his son had been killed. And so this was a tremendous loss for Willie, and he's heartbroken, and so just he's unable to be here this morning, so just pray for Willie as well. And so I'm, I'm so grateful, and I mentioned earlier, but you can see kind of why we need this place is because we go through some hard times, and we need each other to fall back on, and so thank you for being here. First Peter, chapter 5, if you have a Bible, we are continuing our study in First Peter, and it's winding down. <clears throat> and I've had uh, three ladies already tell me, when are we going to get through this suffering? <laughs> And I, I didn't know if they meant the suffering by listening to my preaching or, or what they meant exactly from that, but uh, I think what they meant was because the topic of Peter has been so much in this area of how to go through suffering in a way that can bring God glory. Uh, Jesus suffered for us. Why should we expect a life without suffering? He suffered for us, and so for us to be identified with Him, for us to understand Him, and for us to have that foolishness and rebellion that is so latent in our hearts, driven out. The Bible says we must go through times of suffering. But we're coming to chapter, we've come to chapter 5 now, and chapter 5 is, is a lot of looking back. We're past the deep waters of the suffering now. So take a breath. Oh, this is good. We're past the deep water teaching of suffering, and now we're going, uh, Peter's going to just kind of wrap up some, some broad stroke truths, and over the next week or two, we will be, uh, we'll be sharing this wrap up with him. Let me read for you the first four verses of chapter 5 in 1 Peter. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. And I'm going to preach a message from these verses, and quite frankly, the passage is directed to the pastor. So I'm preaching a message to myself. So if you would, just kind of look over my shoulder as I preach this message to myself. There's an air of uncomfort here, discomfort for as I share this message, because the message is written to me. Basically, it's a message to me to shape up. And so you're going to watch as the scriptures have this little time of instruction for me. So I appreciate your being here, but be gentle, all right? Be patient as we get through this. So why do I preach this to the flock? Well, I ask the Lord, I say, why, Lord, should I preach this? Well, he said, it's because it's next in line. Or it's also for these reasons. I'm to inform the flock of the role of the pastor that they, in turn, can understand how to respond to that role. How is the flock, the people of God, how are they to respond to the ministry of the pastor? Well, first of all, understand, I am elevated up on this platform. 
But do you understand, the elevation is just so you can see me. It's not because I'm any better than you. We are on a par. We're peers. We're children of God. I'm not up here in some plateau, and you're down here. I'm not looking down on you. Remember the old churches? A lot of the old churches had, had, had pulpits way up in the air, and they would look down on the people. And people were supposed to be in awe of the man of God. Ah, oh, please don't do that. Please don't hold me to some unnatural, unattainable place. I am a human. I still sin. I struggle. So do you. And so we are a family in Christ. But for order's sake, God has established that the pastor is the one that leads the church. He directs the church. He comes before God and he, and he asks God, God, what, what do you have for me? And so God speaks to him in the scriptures and he brings that to be a, a leader in the church flock. Secondly, is to elicit the prayers of the flock for the pastor. I need you to pray. I need you to pray for me. Why? Because I want desperately to lead you according to God's plan and will. I need you to pray. Because I am a human being, I face temptations. And the devil would very much like to cause me to trip and fall. Because if he could get me to trip and fall, he knows the ripples that can place in the family of God. Pray for me. Next, the next reason why it's important to preach this passage is to challenge some younger ones in the flock to consider going into the pastorate themselves. Sadly, the number of young people that are going into the ministry today is, are very few. Very few. And so I believe one of the reasons this message is to be preached is so that people can open their minds to understand that God is still calling young people to go into the ministry. He still has a calling, and that's still a desperate need for men to be willing to give their lives in the service of Christ. And then, why preach this to the flock? To preach or present the concept of being an example to follow. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now, at first glance, that sounds a little arrogant. But I think, if anything, it was just the opposite. For Paul to be in a position where he said, you need to follow me because I'm following Christ. As I follow Christ, you need to follow me, and that's what I'm telling you. As you see me following Christ, you need to follow me. Where you see me not following Christ, you better not follow me. And so, get in lockstep behind as you see Christ in me. Why, why do I get a little too transparent sometimes? Why do I tell you about how I pray? Why do I tell you how I study God's Word? Why do I tell you what the chair is that I kneel down on? Them? Why do you, you don't need to know those things except that I want to set an example for you. So you understand that some of those things that I do, I want you to do as well. So the message I'm preaching today is entitled, Hallelujah, it's time to feed the flock. <laughs> Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your love, and I thank you for this time, and I am a complete failure, and this will be a waste of time if you do not meet with us. So Holy Spirit of God, would you fill me with your spirit? And I pray that you might move in our hearts today. And I pray that the message that you want delivered will go out powerfully. Thank you for this time. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, verses 1 and 2. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, Peter says, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. His admonition is, feed the flock the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Peter exhorted what he calls here the elders. The Greek word is 
presbyteros. Now, we get the, the, uh, the name Presbyterian from this particular Greek word. It, uh, it, means, it means to uh, an older person. We'll talk more about it here. The word exhort here, I'm going to exhort you. Well, that sounds kind of rough. I'm going to exhort you. That sounds like, sounds like a, a, a third grade teacher with their finger in your nose. I'm going to exhort you. Well, though there can be an application to this, exhorting means to encourage. I mean, encourage you. Now, some of my teachers, I know they meant to encourage me when they did this. It wasn't so much encouraging me. But the, the point is to run alongside and, and to uplift and say, you can do this. You can do this. So Peter's saying, you can do this. You need to do this. And so let me be a help to you. I'm exhorting you. Peter says he himself was a presbyteros, an elder. Peter was a witness also of the sufferings of Christ. Peter saw Jesus nailed to the cross. He witnessed that firsthand. And Peter also said, I'm a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Suffering of Christ now, he says, makes us a partaker of Christ's sufferings. Now, I mentioned it briefly in my prayer, but a partaker uh, or a suffering for Christ now, as we suffer for Christ, and, and honestly, most folks in our country today don't understand what it means to suffer for Christ. We, we don't suffer for Christ. We, we, we get up in the morning and go to church and think we're suffering. We have to carry a Bible and we say, well, we're suffering. Somebody mocks us for being a Christian and we think, we think we're being suffered. I go to a door and I say I'm from Hope Baptist Church and they shut the door, not interested. And we think we're suffering. This, this is not, we don't know suffering. We don't know the kind of suffering that's talked about back here of, of, of uh, hold on just a second. I'm going to take my wife out. Hold on. be taken out so just breathe it's okay she'll, she'll be fine she has a disease called myasthenia gravis and every once in a while her muscles let down and so she has to be uh, has to be helped so she'll be she'll be fine she has to catch her breath back here and she'll be fine I was preaching wasn't I <clears throat> let's see here an elder what is an elder well an elder 
is uh, obviously the word means older. doesn't necessarily mean older person. It can mean more mature. And so we'll talk about this here, but I, I, the, where I got to in the message was Peter was a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed, a partaker of suffering. Well, you just saw my wife since before 1990 has had this disease, and sometimes she goes in times of suffering. When, when we, before it was diagnosed, and praise God has been diagnosed and she can get help now, but before it was diagnosed, we spent many nights where she could not breathe and honestly not knowing if she was going to make it through the night because her muscles would not work and so her, her lungs would not expand and so it was very very challenging during those early days especially before they diagnosed it and before she could get help and um, so what, what's it mean to to suffer for Christ what, what's it mean well Paul Peter suffered for Christ obviously he went through times of persecution he himself was martyred for Christ but he tells us in 2 Corinthians 1, 7, or Paul does, that, And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation or the comfort. As you struggle with sufferings for Christ, you also will be partaker of the comfort that goes with that, which makes no sense. We mentioned Bev. Bev is suffering because of the loss of her son. In the same breath, Bev is experiencing a supernatural comforting of the Holy Spirit that can only be described by him. Now, I had never experienced that before. I didn't understand it before. But when our, when our son passed away many years ago now, we sorrowed, but in the quiet room, as the doctor came in and told us, I'm sorry, we did all we could do. In the quiet room with tears running on our faces and our hearts broken in two, there was something that we could not explain that was comforting us. Oh, we could explain it. I just didn't know it at the time. It was the Holy Spirit. So we were being partaker of a suffering, but at the same time of his comfort. Now, now the world's not going to understand this. They're not going to get this. It's not going to make any sense. Those who are unsaved aren't going to get this because it's talking about something that, quite frankly, is supernatural. It's God. It's the Holy Spirit of God who's doing His work of comforting and ministering to us. So partakers of the suffering of Christ will be comforted. Also, in Romans 8, 17, he says, and if children... Then heirs. In other words, if we're a child of God, if we've trusted in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. Joint heirs with Christ. <laughs> the Bible says that Jesus, God gave to Jesus everything everything. He so elevated Jesus, so worshiped, gave Jesus everything because of his willingness to die for the sins of mankind. He gave everything. And the Bible says that you and I, believers, are joint heirs with him. Meaning, on the legal document before God is Jesus' name, and next to it is ours. What he owns, we will own. We're joint heirs. Peter was a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Partakers will be joint heirs with Christ. And partakers will be glorified with Christ. Romans 8.18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, did you catch that? What we're going through right now, the sufferings of this present time, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. This tends to suggest being close to Christ, so close that the glory that radiates from Him spills over onto His partakers. Remember Moses, when Moses went up on Mount Sinai? 
It's there for 40 days, 40 nights. The children of Israel around the base gave up on him. They thought they'd been up there too long, and so they gave up, and they started, they started worshiping a, a false god. But Moses did come down from the mountain. They looked at him. He said, Moses, you're glowing. You're glowing. In fact, it was so bad, they had to put a veil over his face because the, the glow was so incredible. Well, now, where did he come up with this glowing? He was in the very presence of God. And here it suggests that when Jesus Christ is glorified, that we will be close enough to him to receive the radiation, if you will, that which radiates from him, and we will glow as well. Glorified with Christ. Peter's had some qualifications here. He was an elder. He was a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and he was a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Peter had an audience, and the audience were the elders. The elders which are among you I exhort, I seek to encourage. I looked it up. The elder's definition means someone who's older, a senior, someone who's old. <laughs> and the more I was thinking about it, the older I felt. Uh, also, a member of the Sanhedrin. So as you read through the scriptures and you see the word elder used, you find out how it's used. And those who were on the council or the members of the Sanhedrin, the religious ruling council, were called elders. And so we're talking about people who are older. And we'll learn here this doesn't necessarily mean chronologically older. In Matthew 26 and verse 59, Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death. The elders, those religious leaders. Matthew 27, 1, When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel together against Jesus to put him to death. So these are members of the ruling religious class, the Sanhedrin. But also in the book of Acts, chapter 20 and verse 17, it says, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. He called the elders of the church. Paul was gathering a crowd. He wanted to have a preacher's conference. And so he sent word ahead to have all the preachers in Ephesus to, to gather together so he could preach to them and teach them. And he called them, all the pastors, he called them elders. The church had grown significantly in Ephesus, and they were meeting in various homes. And each of the homes was represented by a local pastor. And so he brought them together to teach them. This same group of elders, that he's called elders here, were called overseers in verse number 28. And overseers is from a different word. <laughs> the Greek word is from, we get the word, episcopal. Isn't that interesting? So I got the Presbyterians and the Episcopals all, all weighing in on this. In Acts 21, verse 18, in the day following, Paul went in with us unto James, and all the elders were present. Who were these elders? Well, they were the pastors. So now, 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 this has nothing here about a person's chronological age. The pastors gathered together, and they were called the elders. He, grew, he, he brought them together for this meeting. So this is the audience. The audience is a group of pastors. What's his admonition? Well, I already told you what it was. It was to feed the flock. This is interesting because the word feed, the word feed is literally means tends as a shepherd. So we could say, Peter says to the to pastors, you need to shepherd your flock. You need to be a shepherd to them, just like a shepherd would his sheep. You need to shepherd your flock. Well, now that puts the whole picture of pastoring into a very perceivable understanding. I can understand that. What does a shepherd do to a sheep? Well, a shepherd takes his sheep and makes sure that they go to some uh, clear water, good water, and, and takes them to good, clean pastures, and protects them, fights off the wolves, protects them, even comforts them. He feeds the flock. In John 21, 16, Jesus 
saith unto him the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Well, Lord, you know that I love you. Then here's what I want you to do. Feed my sheep. What is the pastor supposed to do? He's supposed to feed his sheep. He's supposed to take the word of God. He's supposed to beg God for to lead him and give from the word of God spiritual food. That's what I'm attempting to do now is give you spiritual food, scriptural truth that can affect your life for Christ. Jesus commissioned Peter to feed those who are Christ. In Acts 20 and verse 28, Take therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So remember this group of pastors that are meeting for their pastor's conference in Ephesus. Pastor or Peter challenged them to feed their flocks. And one pastor raises his hand and says, well, I meet in a home and we just have five families there. What do I do? Feed the flock. I've got this home and we're busting out the seams and there's 50 families in this home. It's this huge home. What am I to do? Feed the flock. Take God's word and feed them diligently. They ought to be well fed. I'll tell you something. There's something about being well fed spiritually. Oh, Thanksgiving is a wonderful time, isn't it? I love it. Oh, I love pushing back from the table. And the feeling you have before you hurt is great. You know what I mean? You eat and you eat and you eat. It's so great until it hits. Whoa, wow. <laughs> I want to be so fed spiritually. Spiritually. It's like what I feel like at Thanksgiving, enjoying that so much. The Lord Jesus in Revelation 7, 17, will even care for those who come to Jesus Christ during the tribulation. It says, Revelation 7, 17, For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. This is specifically talking about the group of people. Speak, Lord. <laughs> the group of people that are saved during the tribulation. And we're told here that Jesus will feed them. Why? Because they're going to go through intense trials during tribulation. Many of them will be martyrs for the faith, the Bible teaches us. So Jesus will be teaching them and helping them, caring for them. So what are the responsibilities of the shepherd? Well, to provide food and water for the sheep. 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word, we're told. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. What's the responsibility of the preacher? To provide food and water, spiritual food for the flock. Secondly, to keep the sheep protected from wild animals. Don't have to worry too much about mountain lions this far into town. But we do have to worry about spiritual mountain lions, spiritual wolves. In Acts 20, 28, 29, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And there'll be somebody that comes in our congregation and they lean over to the person next to them and say, what that pastor said is not right. Did you hear what he just said? That's not right. Let me show you in my perverted version here what it, what it says right here. Understand. Now, and, and then they go and they meet somebody else and they meet and they start talking about it. Do you believe how wrong that pastor was? All of a sudden, all of a sudden, there's a division. Where'd that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. It came from, from a wolf desirous of destroying God's church. It's amazing the number of times that we're told to love one another. 
one of the most often commands for the church body is to love one another. And then, secondly, is to unify, be unified, be in unity. And so if somebody comes in to divide, God calls that an abomination. Keep the sheep protected from wild animals. It's one of my jobs. To always be looking. To always keep my eyes open and listening. Always be, be testing the flock to see how they're doing. And thirdly, the job of the elder, the pastor, is to surround the flock with a peaceful environment. Why? Because nervous sheep tend to get in trouble. Uh, sheep are, are very skittish, I'm told. And the least little thing will set them off. And they get nervous. And if they're nervous, they can't eat. As perhaps they might run off on their own and get in trouble. Out there is where the wild animals are. And they get away from the flock. It's dangerous. And so you don't want the sheep to be all nervous. So what you want instead is to provide the peace of God, which passeth understanding. A place where we can come and, whew, it's rough out there, but isn't it good to be in God's house? Oh, it's, it's rough out there, but man, just the fellowship of God's people, the handshakes we receive, the smiles that I'm praying for use in God's house is a place where there needs to be peace. And that's one of my jobs, is to provide for you peace. Music has played a large role in my life for a long time. I was the music director in my previous church. And every once in a while, somebody would bring a particular song they'd want to sing or have performed. And I'd pray over it, and that particular song, I just it was uneasy in my spirit. And I, and I realized that there's nothing, there's nothing per se wrong about that song, but, if I knew, but I knew that if that particular song were sung, it would cause some division in the church family. There would be some who, who would be offended at that particular song. There would be some who would say, praise God, we need more of that. Now what do we have? Praise God, I'm offended. Praise God, I'm offended. Now we've got to divide. So as the pastor, I say, let's provide a peaceful place where we can be unified. For that to occur, I must take everything to God in prayer. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be careful or worried for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So where does the peace of God come from? Where is this elusive peace of God? Here's where it comes from. By prayer and and supplication with thanksgiving. And I'm to dwell in God's word to provide this peaceful setting. In Colossians 3, 15 and 16, and let the peace of God, there it is, rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. This peaceful environment, it doesn't just happen. We pray. We pray for the peace of God. And we allow the truths of God's Word to dwell in us richly. What do you think about? What is it that captures your thinking? It should be God's Word. We should be meditating on God's Word, and that's what should captivate our thinking. Oh, but pastor, you don't understand the trials I'm in right now. You don't understand the pressures of my life right now. It's too great. I am so focused on my problems, my worries. That's the problem. The greater the worry, the more we should meditate on God's Word. The greater the potential for 
for a spiritual attack, the more God's Word should be permeating our minds. Next, the elder, the pastor, needs to watch to make sure the sheep stay healthy. Are you healthy today? I don't mean physically. Some of us are a wreck. <laughs> I, mean, I mean spiritually. Are you healthy today? Healthy leadership makes for a healthy flock. 1 Timothy 4, 16. You ever go to a, a doctor, and this doctor is really, really, really out of shape and, and has all sorts of health problems, and, and he's got this handkerchief and this, he's blowing his nose over here while he's telling you how to take care of a cold? 1 Timothy 4, 16. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. How can I be any help to you if I'm floundering spiritually? If I'm struggling around in, in my own devotions, I'm messing around, if I'm not obeying the Scriptures, how in the world can I expect to be any kind of a blessing to you? And healthy leadership should help bear those with weaknesses. Romans 15, 1, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities or weaknesses of the weak and not to please ourselves. What are the responsibilities of the elder, the pastor, is to run alongside those that are hurting. <laughs> and frankly, it's not always easy. I think I've told you the story probably more than once, but many, many years ago, I went to visit an older gentleman early in the morning. He was having surgery. And uh, I've told you of my trouble with needles. I don't handle needles well. And so here comes this, 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 this nurse, and she's bringing in these, 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 these vials. And she takes out this needle that must have been three or four feet long. <laughs> and she goes to take blood from this patient. And honestly, honestly, the next thing I remember is waking up in the other bed, surrounded by nurses with them saying, he's coming too, he's coming too. And I sit up and said, but I came to pray for him. And I look at this older gentleman, and his eyes are this big looking at me, he's worried about me. Uh, caring for the herding is not always an easy proposition. But you know why? One of the reasons Hope Baptist Church is considered a loving church is because we care for those who are hurting. And may it always be so. Next, it says to give oversight to the flock, in verse number 2, taking the oversight thereof. And let me just give you a little word of encouragement. Uh, this first verse is the majority of my message. So we're on the downhill slope now, so hang on, we're, we're going to start going faster here taking the oversight thereof. First of all, provide oversight. The word oversight, uh, it may, again, is from this word where we get episcopalian, it means to oversee, to oversee, or to look diligently. So the elder, the pastor, is to stand and, and to look at the whole ministry, make sure that the whole ministry is being run according to God's will, to bring Him glory. Uh, we're to look diligently in Hebrews 12, 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. We should be looking diligently. We the pastors, making it our responsibility to watch the flock. And do we catch it all? No, sadly, no. It kills me when somebody says, Pastor, did you know? And no, I didn't know. I'm so sorry. It hasn't happened here, but it happened a few times back in Illinois where somebody would call up and they were, quite frankly, angry with me. I was in the hospital for three days and you never visited me. You didn't tell me you were in the hospital. I didn't know. Didn't know. So please, if you're going to the hospital, especially if you want to visit, make sure I know about it. That'd be helpful. I need to look diligently. I knew it, I need to be inspecting individually. You see, and I guess in some ways I look at 
Hope Baptist Church as, as, as an organization. But I don't see you that way. I see you individually. When I pray for you, I don't say, oh, and pray for the church. God bless the church. No, I, I pray for you. And, 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 and when burdens come up, I think of you. I see your face. My heart grieves for you. I need to inspect individually. This, there were oversight here. Actually, it comes from a word meaning to aim at or to take heed or to look at. I need to focus on. So don't think this is creepy, but every once in a while I focus on you, considering where you are spiritually, considering how things are going in your life. I focus on you. In Luke 11:35, take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. Romans 16, 17, now I, now I beseech your brethren, mark them, same word, mark them, which cause divisions and offenses. In Philippians 3, 17, brethren be followers together of me, and mark them, which walk, so ye have us for an example. In Galatians 6, 1, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, Considering thyself, again, same word as focusing in on. Consider thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Now, interestingly, in verse number two, it tells us how not to provide oversight. Here's how you don't do it. Not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. So, first of all, not by constraint. In other words, don't twist arms. I'm going to oversee you. If it hurts or not, I'm going to over... No. Don't, don't, uh, don't do it by constraint. You weren't in church last Sunday. Where were you? No, not by constraint. And the word means compulsory or forced. Luke 14, 23, And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Encourage them to come in. Don't put a gun to their heads. Don't twist their arms. Not by constraint. Secondly, not for filthy lucre. Now, some of you might not know what that is. Lucre is money. Not for money. Don't, don't, don't provide oversight as long as they pay you for it. As long as they slip you a 20... Don't do it for a filthy lucre. 1 Timothy 3.3, 3, regarding the pastor, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. 1 Timothy 3.8, likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. And Titus 1.7, for a bishop, again a pastor, must be blameless, as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. Money. Not being driven by, motivated by money. When money becomes the motivation, the Spirit of God exits. Let me say that again. When money becomes the motivation, the Spirit of God leaves. Oh, that doesn't mean there can't be great success, fleshly. But where's God in the picture? And not lording over the church. Verse 3, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but by being examples or ensamples to the flock. Not lording over the church. I'm the pastor. You need to do what I say. Not lording over them. In 3 John 1, 9, and 10, it mentions a man named Diotrephes. And Diotrephes uh, gave some disastrous leadership. I'll read you just a couple of verses. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come... I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with those malicious words, and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that he would, that would, and casteth them out of the church. This Diotrephes was a tyrant. 
He was a tyrant. He was a pastor of a church. And you do what I say. If you don't do, then I'm going to kick you out of the church. <laughs> and Peter says, no, elders, pastors, you need to lead your church. Don't lord over them. Don't make them look up to you. Don't make them kiss your ring. You love them. The pastor's required leadership is seen in Titus 1, 7, and 8. For a bishop, a pastor must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. I told you this message was a bit uncomfortable because this is all to me. I'm telling you all the areas in which you're to hold me accountable. I just assume not, thank you. That's not true. Because one of the greatest desires I have in my heart is to present Hope Baptist Church as a beautiful bride to Jesus Christ. And that means I must stay humble. I must be a leader, not a pusher. How do I do this? By taking oversight with a ready mind. First of all, I need to stay eager to learn. In Acts 17, 11, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily. Whether those things were so, stay eager to learn. I need to be constantly learning. I've told you this, but coming here to Colorado, I was slapped in the face with a new culture. Wow, did I learn a lot. I started reading voraciously listening to podcasts, getting everything I could. I read more now than I have in my entire life. Constantly reading, studying, trying to keep up with where things are and, and to learn what God has for me. I'm staying eager to learn. I need to be led by the Holy Spirit. Matthew 26, 41, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I need to be prepared in every way. In Romans 1.15, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. I'm ready. It may not sound like it, but I prepared a great deal before coming before the pulpit today. Every time I stand before the pulpit, it takes me a great deal of time in preparation. I study. I study hard. Because I want to feed you well. So I preached a message to me, but with you look over my shoulders, for what purpose? Just so you could hold me accountable? Well, that certainly is part of it. It's because I want you to understand we are an organization here. We're one. We're one. We're one body. Many members. We're one body. Which one's more important? Well, I don't want to lose any of them. I don't want to lose my arm. James, I don't want to lose my leg. Wouldn't you say your leg was important? You don't want to lose it. I don't want to lose you. Each member is important. Not one lording over the others. All the members loving one another, working together for the cause of Christ. And if you fail to understand the role of the pastor, then I think you're going to have a hard time understanding how this is all to work together. It's not one person telling everybody else what to do. It's one person working with another person who works with another person who works with another person, all of us working together for the same goal. How are you doing in your role? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, I thank you for this time, and I thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit, for the work the Spirit's already done in us. But I ask you right now to bring your attention to us 
to a focus in our hearts. And like a laser beam, would you show in us areas that we need to change? Areas that we need to be more like you. And I don't know in your particular situation how the Holy Spirit may have spoken to you, but I believe the Spirit of God has spoken today. And I believe that each of us needs to respond accordingly. I want us to quietly stand to our feet. Everyone standing, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I'm not going to give a long invitation right now, but I'm also going to tell you that if the Spirit of God has spoken to you, you need to respond. Maybe you can do it where you're at. Simply respond to Him, and, and, and if He's revealed a sin in your heart or an area that you have been not doing you need to do, then respond to Him. Perhaps you need to come to the altar and kneel and, and spend time with Him, but do not leave this morning without doing business with Christ. If you came in this morning not knowing for sure where you're going to go when you die, perhaps you could not answer this question. If I were to ask you, do you know 100% for sure that when you die, you go to heaven. If you could not say, yes, I know for sure, would you like to know for sure? The Bible tells us how we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt when we die, we're going to go to heaven. And if you want to know that, I would sure like to pray for you. I'd never embarrass you, but I'd sure like to pray for you. Anyone in this audience that would say with an uplifted hand, Pastor, pray for me. I do not know for sure where I'm going when I die, but I want to know. Anyone like that? To put the hand up, I can see it. Anybody? Pastor, pray for me. I see no hands, which means more than likely this is a group of people who know the Lord Jesus Christ personally. As such, you are the flock of God. Are you living in obedience? If not, would you confess that to him and ask for his help? Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time we spent together in your word. I thank you, Lord, that you, I believe, met with us this morning. And I thank you, Lord, for giving us the various roles in the ministry and help each of us to fulfill our role as we seek to serve you better and bring you glory. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.